Welcome back to the Gentle Catholic Parenting Podcast, where I explore gentle positive principles of parenting through the lens of our Catholic faith. I'm Kim Cameron Smith, and this is episode 13. In my last episode, I talked about helicopter parenting. I explained what it is, why it might not be good for kids, and I um, distinguished helicopter parenting from the uh, gentle attachment-based approach that I talk about on my show. Today's episode is kind of a follow-up because I wanted to look at a couple of articles that came through my email and social media suggesting that maybe helicopter parenting isn't really all that bad. And so I want to kind of check them out and figure out what's going on. So first, let me kind of recap what I talked about in that show in terms of why helicopter, why why experts believe helicopter parenting isn't good for kids. Helicopter parents, what, what do they do? They basically hover over their kids, trying to ensure the child's physical safety or their success, usually academic success. Being appropriately protective of an immature child is not a problem. What's a problem is preventing a child from taking appropriate risks for his age or his developmental stage or his maturity level. What's a problem is overmanaging the child's life so they never take responsibility for their actions or explore their own interests. Their actions are directed and managed by the parent and their interests tend to be the ones the parents think are worthy or will lead to their success or whatever. And how does this affect the child? It leads the child to actually feel less confident because they think they aren't capable uh, of succeeding themselves. They're not capable of doing things themselves because the parent's always fixing things for them. And this affects the emergent process and maturity, the emergent process. So the emergent process leads human beings to develop a unique sense of self and a sense of vibrancy about life so that this like, you know, so like over, over protecting and doing everything for the kid affects this. The child also never learns to cope with disappointment or failure. And this affects the adaptive process. The adaptive process is, um, it's our ability to adjust our expectations in the face of futility or disappointment. Becoming adaptive leads to uh, emotional control and it's part of becoming a mature human being. So my point is that helicopter parenting hampers these maturing processes. And I mean, there are worse things than helicopter parenting. If I had to choose between a negligent babysitter and one that was had more helicoptering type um, you know, behaviors, I would choose the helicopter parent because at least I know my child is going to be safe. But um, long term, um, experts believe that this is not good for kids. But like I said on that show, um, right before I recorded the show, I just saw some articles fly through my news feed and, and I saw something in my email and I didn't really have time to focus on them, but they seem to contradict 
what I have understood for many years about what the problem with helicopter parenting is. So I thought, I, and I mentioned that, so I probably shouldn't have even mentioned it because then, um, I mean, it turned out not to be a big problem, but I did want to follow up and tell you what I discovered. So one of the articles turned out to be something about nothing. It was just, um, I mean, I probably shouldn't even mention it. It was, I think it was like helicopter parents are good parents. And when I followed the rabbit trail, it turned out it was just the term good parent was um, good parent in the sense that Alice Miller used the term, the good parent. She was an expert on child abuse. And she had these different categories of parents. And the good parent for her was the over-involved parent. So it was like, okay, whatever. It's, it's just was saying it wasn't really contradicting um, anything that we talked about on that show. The second, um, there was actually a couple of articles that um, were about a new book that, that came out written by two economists who their basic thesis is that intensive helicopter type parenting is actually completely rational in the West. And so I got the book and had a look at it. It's called Love, Money and Parenting, How Economics Explain the Way We Raise Our Kids. It's actually a really good book. So let me present their basic, the basic main um, steps in their argument. So they say that parenting practices are a response to specific um, socioeconomic conditions that the parents are raising their kids in. So if you're raising your child in a poor agricultural economy, you will tend to be more authoritarian and not so authoritarian parents are very controlling and demanding and they may be punitive and spank and stuff and they are not interested so in poor agricultural economy a parent living in a poor agricultural economy would tend to be more authoritarian and not particularly interested in the kids you know aspirations or their you know bigger talents or whatever because they're not going to waste their time doing that they they the kid's going to be a farmer and um, there's no point in asking them what they want to be when they grow up or what their other talents are because it's set for them so this is their argument this is not necessarily what i would say but it's um it's very interesting so they and they also say that in rich economies an entirely different approach to parenting is called for in rich economies your education is critical to your placement in the work floor, in the workforce. So apparently economists call this the education premium. The point is that parents um, like us in a richer economies, we have to focus on um, and nurture schooling to make sure our kids will be successful. So we take our kids, so you know, parents who take their kids to museums when they're two, and sign them up for science classes when they're in preschool and all that, it's not crazy. The preparation is very intense and it may be strange compared to years past, but um, the parents are just adjusting their behavior to the economic environment. So I should say who the authors are, right? Let me just grab the book here. Okay, so the, the authors are, oh my gosh, I hope I pronounced this right. Matthias Dupke and Fabrizio Silabati. They say that um, parenting has become more intense in recent decades 
and um, that parents were more relaxed in the 70s and 80s. They say they themselves are, they parent differently from the way they were parented, but they're not sure they're actually any better parents than their parents were, that the parents are responding to different um, economic pressures or lack thereof. So I'm not really sure about that. I they, they say their parents were super like laid back and not really... Um, involved or whatever i mean i do know that i um you know i was one of, i grew up in that generation where we on the in the summer we'd get get on our bikes in the morning and we'd go right off and i think i mentioned that on the last show that um you know we are more aware of um safety and um that sort of thing nowadays but anyway so I, i'm not sure about like if there's some big um difference between now and the 70s and 80s but um so anyway the authors continue with their thesis they say so they they talk about the difference between you know parents raising their children in um poor um economies and people raising their kids in rich economies but they say that not all rich economies are the same that depending on the level of inequality within the rich country the parents will parent differently so they say that in rich countries like sweden where there is um great economic equality and a lot of state support parents are more laid back and even permissive the authors claim that um so i'm not really sure about this i'm just telling you what they what they say the authors claim the parents are basically uninvolved. They let their kids do what they want. They don't really encourage any kind of intellectual growth. And this is what was really, I was like, really? They don't even intervene when the kids are hitting each other. He, they said that the parent will be sitting drinking coffee with their friends and the kids will be fighting and like literally physical and the parents don't really get involved. The, that, that the assumption is that kids will sort things out themselves anyway so the author's interpretation is that swedes are uninvolved because they don't have to worry about their kids future as much but in countries like ours where the gap between rich and poor is great we have to be a lot more intense and hands-on and even authoritarian so i do think they're right to some extent i totally get their point parents in the west we do have to consider um I mean, of course, we have to consider our child's educational preparation. If the child's going to be able to survive independently, um, of course, we can achieve this without um, being a helicopter parent. I'll just throw that out there. Okay, let me, maybe this is a good point. I would like to offer my counterbalancing perspective. So this isn't a counter argument. Often I feel like everything, <laughs> everything I say... Um, it sounds like a critique or a counter argument and i don't want it to sound that way because first of all i have no credentials to be critiquing these economists because i i mean i think i had an uh, an econ economics class in college and i do not remember any of it so they're far more positioned to talk about um economic motivations for behavior than i am so i'm not quibbling they're probably right I'm just offering a counterbalancing perspective. And they would actually agree with some of what I'm about to say. I've, I saw a few comments made in the book, and I think they would agree with me. All they're trying to do is add to our discussions um, about why parents make the choices they do. They want to add economic motivations to that. So I totally appreciate that. But let me share my own experience and perspective. I have two main points to make. First, 
I think they may, um, okay, I think there are other, tr other, um, it's an incomplete expl explanation and they would agree with that. So I see some valid validity in what they're saying, but an economic interpretation of human behavior will always overlook important factors that we really need to recognize. So for I could think of two things right off the top of my head, other uh, explanations driving parenting choices. First of all, how we were parented, how we were a parent, how we were parented. So the accepted wisdom among um, experts, there's th three basic um, parenting styles authoritarian which is the controlling kind of punitive cold detached style on one end permissive parenting on the other where you're totally like unengaged and basically like child-led life and then the best is for children is to be authoritative so to provide clear um boundaries and clear expectations but the parent is very warm um, and accepting of the child well, most parents don't actually parent in this optimal way. I think how we were parented drives how we parent our kids unless we consciously make a choice to parent differently from our own parents, especially if you are poor or you're under a lot of stress. You are parenting in an emergency mode a lot of the times and you are parent by default and the default is how you were parented. So if you were raised in a warm, loving, supportive home, one which was very intuitive, this is great, things will go well. But if you were raised in a more distant or even abusive home, things won't go so well. And the other um, thing that I think drives parenting choices more than economic motivations is our assumptions about children. Our assumptions about children. In particular, our beliefs about the reasons children miss, you know, quote, misbehave are far more potent explanations for how children are raised than socioeconomic equality. For example, a religious culture that sends a message that you should hit or control your children so they don't go to hell will be very powerful. Um, it's a very powerful influence on the parents' choices. It's more powerful than economic. Um, yeah, I think it, it, if you're in a particular religious culture which has that viewpoint, it'll be a very powerful in shaping your behavior. And the authors agree with this. They, they uh, found it very disturbing. They say that 70% of religious parents report spanking their children compared to 58% of non-religious parents. I mean, I find it shocking that it's even as high as 58% among non-religious parents. There's no, no, um, no um, evidence suggests that spanking your kids will, I mean, doesn't, doesn't really help. So I'm not gonna go off on that tangent, but anyway. So I think the economic factor is not really as powerful as the authors think. These are these other factors, I think, are more powerful in influencing parenting choices, how we were parented and our assumptions about children. OK, so then the second thing, the second you know, thought that I had was just because something is rational 
does it mean it's good for kids? So yes, it may be rational for parents to be helicopter parents in the West, but that doesn't mean it's good for kids. There are many rational choices a, um, a parent could make that are very terrible for children. Just think of infanticide or abortion. In some uh, contexts, it is economically rational, but it is always morally corrupt and barbaric. Without a consideration of the flourishing of the human person and the dignity of every human life, we can convince ourselves that many things are justified. So just because something is rational does not mean it's justified. Let's talk about, let's, in, a, in a less sort of dramatic, um, you know, let's explore something a little less dramatic. So let's talk about Sweden. Now, I have always admired Swedish, um, the early education system in Sweden. Preschool is play-based and there is little academic pressure in the early grades. And I really like that approach. I just think things of, they're so crazy here um, in the U.S. I mean, kindergartners are made to feel like they're failures if they can't write a paragraph. I mean, some kindergartners can, some can't. And anyway, um, but if the authors are correct, about the way Swedish parents sit around while their kids are beating each other up, then um, can I raise the infraction flag? Because, you know, just because there's economic equality in Sweden doesn't mean that this more permissive parenting is good for kids. Children, no matter their culture, their socioeconomic status, or their future prospects, they need the strong presence of their parents in order to mature. What do I mean by this? All children by nature have a need for closeness and safety that is meant to be meant that is meant to be met by their primary um, attachment figures. So these needs are so intense that the child is preoccupied with getting these needs met. Nothing else takes priority, not even eating, until they feel physically or emotionally safe. When they feel safe, they moved into a restful place emotionally. And from that place of rest, they're able to explore, wonder, learn, mature. So when a parent is too permissive, the need, these needs are not being met. If your child, if the child feels like his parent is too preoccupied with the conversation and it's a, I mean, one time is not a big deal, but if it's a chronic, if it's like a, a cultural habit, it's not good for the child. The child will not come to rest. Of course, children raised in an authoritarian, you know, like a super a controlling home, they, they also may lack rest. But I just want to point out that permissive parents aren't meeting the child's emotional needs either. So what would the helicopter parent do in these situations? Okay, they would probably jump in too quickly to fix the child's problem. They would pr try to, you know, cleanse the child's environment of any potential bullies, if the child is getting into a squabble, they would just, you know, they would just be too interfering. Um, but if the if children are hitting each other, parents should intervene and keep the kids safe. Kids are immature. They're immature. They really can't always, children can't always sort things out on their own. So the authors say that the, in Sweden, they assume the kids will sort things out on their own. Well, we know from our own experience, we don't always sort things out on our own. I mean, when you're eight, when you're five, when you're three, you cannot always sort things out on your own. So, um, so sometimes kids need um, adults to back off and let them 
handle things, but sometimes they do need the engagement of the adult to kind of mentor them and seeing the perspective of another child. Um, or sometimes just to, to, I mean, some kids are too immature to play with other children without adults there. Some kids like a preschooler or a toddler, they're too immature to be playing together without parents, you know, monitoring them. So anyway, I guess it is probable that parents are more laid back in Sweden, but if laid back means permissive, this isn't good for children, whether or not there is um, great economic equality. Anyway, I kind of got off on the Sweden, the Sweden tangent. My big point, the authors of the book, they present an explanation for what drives parenting behavior. And they're giving an economic explanation. And I think, like I said, I think they're partly right. But explaining why parents do what they do is different from explaining what children deserve. Explaining why parents do what they do is different from explaining what children deserve. And what do children deserve? They deserve to be cherished and protected from wounds that are too much to bear. They deserve to be cherished and protected from wounds that are too much to bear. You know, like another kid pummeling you. That Those are wounds that are too much to bear. They deserve to be viewed not only as economic agents, but as unique, unrepeatable persons who have a transcendent dimension. They deserve to thrive not only economically, but emotionally and spiritually. Without a consideration of these dimensions of humanity, inevitably injustices and, st and stupidities ensue. Children deserve to become fully functioning, confident adults capable of mutual self-giving love. Not only receiving the giving, not just depending on us to take care of them, but we want our children to grow up capable of caring for others, them, to caring for themselves and caring for others. So this is why helicopter parenting is actually irrational when you consider the broad literature on human well-being and how children come to self-actualize and to engaged, vibrant, empathic adults. Yes, we in the West, we parents, we have to deal with intense economic pressures, but it is possible to raise kids with inner drive without being a helicopter parent. What is driving our children? A fear that they'll disappoint us or an inner spark that makes life beautiful? That is it for today. You can read show notes for this podcast on my website, intentionalcatholicparenting.com. There you'll find articles, links to research on parenting and child development. You'll also find links to connect with me on social media. And you can also find my authors, a link to my author's website. Thank you for spending time with me today. Please pray for me. I will for you. Have a wonderful day. God bless.